The One Tough Mother Podcast. The One Tough Mother Show is real talk with special guests, including industry leaders, celebrities, and amazing women who've overcome adversities to work their way to the top and are willing to share their real life lessons. Remember, you don't have to be a mother to be one tough mother. It's all about you. And welcome to the One Tough Mother Show. We have a great show this week, but Hey, Seth, it's 4th of July. Happy 4th of July. What are you doing this week? Oh, uh, you know, barbecue, fireworks, sparklers. Oh, sparklers. Dude, I completely forgot about the sparklers. I got some right here. Oh, you did? I got some, yeah. Are you having something at the house? Am I coming? I'm just asking. No. No, I'm going to my dad's. Oh, you are? Yeah. Fun for you. I'm going to be working, but I am going to the um, fireworks with my daughter and my grandson because the baby has to stay home and my son-in-law really doesn't really care about the fireworks. We're going to take a ride up and see the fireworks. I don't know. I don't, I'm going to say 50-ish years and I still love them. Do you love them? Uh, love is a strong word. Oh, all right. All right. But you guys will go see them somewhere, or can you see them from your dad's? We're going to my dad's tomorrow night. He lives next to a golf course, and they always put on some good fireworks, so we just go watch them. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. What, else is, what else is the news with you? Look, I'm just trying to survive. It's a jungle out there, the concrete jungle. I'm there it every is a day. concrete jungle. Trying, just trying and to survive. Know, I just looked at the weather, and it's supposed until next Thursday... We're going to have thunderstorms and rain every day. Yeah, there's trees down all over my neighborhood from the other day. It's crazy. That wind was brutal. It was like 60 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty bad. But pretty um, bad. I'm going to be honest. Talking about crazy weather segue into this, which is perfect. No, I want to talk to you about today's guest. Today's guest, Dave Sanderson is about defining moments that create a lifetime of purpose. He's built a career as a motivational speaker, mentor, and author. He spreads his life journey and happiness through speaking and spreading hope. His thoughts on leadership have been, they've actually made him a nationally sought after speaker. However, it was on January 15th, 2009, when U.S. Airways Flight 1549 or better known as the Miracle in the Hudson, ditched in the Hudson River in New York that Dave knew exactly where he was supposed to be. It's with great pleasure that we welcome to the One Tough Mother Show, survivor of the Miracle of the Hudson and the last, last person, last person on the miracle or on the plane helping people get off the plane with the captain, Dave Sanderson. Hey, Dave. Hey Karen, how are you today? Wonderful, thank you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm I'm blessed to be above ground. So I'm I'm doing unbelievable. Thank you for asking. That's a that's so true. And you were in the city last week, and I missed you. And I'm so sorry. Tell us what you were doing in the city. Well, with honor last week, uh, I was attending a, a dinner for sponsored by the Champions for Philanthropy by the NBA retirees, and I was very honored and humbled to receive an award for. Uh, Courageous philanthropy. So I was very honored to be in the city last week. And every time I come back to New York, it's always a special time. Right. I mean, do, do you get kind of weird feelings or it's all good? 
it's all good. But every time I get down towards the Hudson River, I get to get a little emotional, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty good now. Oh, that, Dave, so before we get started with all that, I have to know, tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, what you've done up until this point. So, thank you. So, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. I've got a wife and four kids. I'm very blessed to have that. For 30, 33 years, I was a sales producer and a sales manager, so I was able to, to support the family that way. And during that time, I was also a head of security for a gentleman by the name of Tony Robbins. So, I had the opportunity to travel with uh, Tony and learn learn from him up close and personal. So I had a very, very tremendous honor to be able to do that. But, you know, all that sort of started changing for me after what happened in New York. And, and uh, I sort of sort of shifted my, my game plan from doing sales and sales management and doing that to going out and uh, doing like you do and speaking and, and writing books and doing things like that. That's, that's super exciting. And um, Tony Robbins. Wow, dude, that's pretty good. That's, that's pretty high level training right there. I was very honored to be one of those few people who had that opportunity. Oh yeah. He, he, he's an awesome speaker as everyone knows. And um, he, the energy in that room has got to be crazy, right? Phenomenal. I don't think people can really understand until they get right in the middle of it. Yes, that's probably very true. I've got, I'm yet to do a Tony Robbins speech. I guess I'll have to at some point. We gotta get you on, we'll get you on a firewalk. We'll make sure that happens. Oh, that'd be, oh my gosh, that'd be fabulous. Dave, let's go back to January 15th, 2009, which blows my mind to begin with, is that it was 2009. It feels like it was just a couple of years ago. Uh, tell us what your day started like. Well, Kaylee, we started very early because I was in New York. We were visiting a distribution center in Brooklyn, um, and distribution centers, I was in them a lot, so they normally open quite early in the morning, but this one in Brooklyn opened up at 2 o'clock, so if you're going to get in the middle of the game, you got to be there like at 5 o'clock in the morning. So our day started at 5 after the previous day being in Petersburg, Virginia, in a manufacturing plant, and um, you know, so we got done about 10 o'clock, so you know, end of a three-day business trip, Karen, you know, people like you and I who travel can't wait to get home, surprise the family. And that's, uh, I, you know, I gave up my first class seat at five o'clock out of LaGuardia for uh, C-15A on U.S. Airways Flight 1549, which changed the entire direction of my life. That moment changed everything for me. It's so weird because they say that all the time. It takes one split second to change your life forever. And that's, you're just living proof of that. It was one split second to change your life forever. That's why I named the book Moments Matter, Karen, because all these moments that you don't think add up are there for a reason and that all happens in a moment. So you, people like you and I who schlep around the country, if not the world for a living and get on and off planes and sit in the airports for hours and Oh, you know, back in the day, I was trying to jump flights when you were able to jump. Yep. Flights, you had no problem. Um, I don't think they one moment ever happened in my brain where I thought about this. Never. I, I don't know why it becomes it becomes second habit, I guess, just to do what we do and forget about the dangers of what of getting off and on a plane at sometimes. So you got on the plane, found your seat, normal everyday flight, and not paying attention. I mean, like you said. I flew 100, still fly 100 times a year. So I didn't pay attention. You know, I know everything, right? Uh, so, you know, and if you're going out of LaGuardia, you know the flight pattern, you know, you go over the water, right? Then you start banking north a little bit before you start making your turns. And it was about, uh, about 60 seconds after we took off is when I heard the explosion. And I was in seat 15A, which was four rows behind the left wing. So when I heard it and looked out the window, I saw fire coming out from beneath the left wing. I knew something had happened. I'd never seen that on a plane before, but 
Karen, like we all talk about, you know, I flow so often that planes have multiple engines. So he'll just go back into the plane. And that's exactly what I thought at that moment. I can't even imagine. You know what? I have seen some pretty, I mean, we, we've been around a long time. So we've been flying a long time. We used to fly in really bad ice storms. We used to land in ice and snow storms. Um, I've seen smoke pouring out of the wing at one point. I don't even know what that was. Maybe we've hit something, but it, it, all those things. I mean, for a minute, I think I would, I'd be like, eh, oh my gosh. But then I'd never, I would just go past in my mind. So you see fire coming off the engine or off the wing. You know it's it's something big deal, right? It's a big deal, but Kaylee, once again, I one of the things I think people you know now know, but it hit those birds hit those engines at precisely the same instant on both sides of the plane. So I think everybody, at least the people I've talked to, but I would say majority of the people, the passengers on the plane thought we have another engine. Um, and Kaylee, so it's no, no big deal. So what happened on the left side of the plane, people said, well, we got the right engine. People on the right side of the plane saw the same thing on their side. said, well, we got the left engine because no one was talking. And I think, I tell people, I think that was one of the, probably one of the first things that really I remember is so silent on the plane. No one would talk because I truly believe, Karen, this, I, I, I said this hundreds of thousands of times, if people would have started talking and comparing notes and what you see, what you hear, people can start then get panicked. And when people start to panic, people lose their heads. And when people start to lose their heads, that's when things, catastrophe and things start to happen. Right. You're so right. So um, as, as many times as both of us have flown, you felt, you felt drops in, in la I mean, you know, you, you felt it when it drops down and you hit some turbulence. And did you feel any of that? Didn't feel any of that immediately. Because, you know, when I really didn't think much of it until we started banking. And Kaylee, I thought we were banking back towards the airport. But we banked the other way, which, okay, I didn't really notice at that point until I looked out the window and I saw something I'd never seen before. And it was the skyline of Manhattan, that close. And then I looked out further. I saw later I found out was the George Washington Bridge. I'm like, I've never seen that one before. And that's when I really started saying, okay, what's going on? And, and then, of course, when the captain came on and said his famous words, this is your captain, race for impact, is when I think everybody, including me, knew that this is a pretty serious situation. Uh, what, about this, what about the flight attendants? Are they, like, scurrying around? Are they, at this point, is it, has the captain already notified the flight attendants? Do you nope. know their behavior? No, they didn't. So until the captain said those words, the flight attendants were business as usual. But the moment he said that's when they got up and said, brace, 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 brace heads down, heads down. So uh, they went into play. That, that was, I guess, their trigger to go into motion. So no, he did not let anybody know. Those are the only words that anybody on that plane heard the entire time. Now, was it chaos? Were people screaming? What was going on? Nope, st still quiet. Still people were moving. And I, I tell people, the word I used that night on TV with Katie Couric was, was control chaos. People never, never were losing it, but people were very aware at that point. And, but no one was scurrying around because one of the things I shared I shared earlier is I think the passenger makeup of that plane carrier had a lot to do with it because if you look at the, the passenger makeup, it was roughly 90% of business people. Now, yesterday I flew back from Orlando, which was totally different. It was 90% basically you know, travelers and leisure were 10% right. of people. So I think the passenger makeup of the plane, because business people started going into business mode, I think. I did. I know that. Because, okay, what's my game plan, right? What am I going to do if something happens? Where, so everybody sort of went in. I, I, so you didn't hear anything externally. 
I totally believe that because coming back from Orlando, it's everybody come back from Disney. <laughs> exactly right. But, you know, when we're on a, you know, we know who travels a lot. You can tell by just being on a plane and you're like, I think that's, that's 100% correct. So you're sitting next to a woman, a man, who are you sitting next to? I was with a young, young business person who was a techie. Okay, I found out later he's a techie who was in New York doing his business, just like I was in New York doing my business. Okay, so you hear Brace for Impact, which kind of is like reminds me of the fact that I should be more, more uh, paying attention to everything that's going on in the plane. Awareness, awareness is key, Karen. That's that's not my, one of my key words is awareness. Awareness is so true. Yeah. So you hear that, Dave. Besides your heart going up in your throat, yeah. what, did you call your family? What'd you do? No, I, I, some people did. I I prayed. I, I said, Tuesday morning, I prayed. I said, whoever that dude is up front, man, just get me down one piece. Uh, I prayed the last person I spoke with, who was my client over in Brooklyn, to call my wife and to tell her that I did love her. And last thing I did is I prayed to God to forgive my sins because I tell people, I don't want anything between me and God now. We're going down. I want to go up. And it's not looking very good right now. So that's what I did. I actually sort of started praying and then uh, got them. I reached down and got my wallet and shoved it down into my pants because the one thing I remember is you want identification on you. At least if something happens, they can at least know who you were. And that's so uh, I, I shoved my wallet into my pants and put my head down. And it was roughly 60 seconds after we crossed over the George Washington's when we crashed. But it was, people ask me, what's that last minute like? And I, would tell, I tell people, I said, it's, it's surreal because you did hear some people calling people. You did hear some people texting people. But all I saw was a movie of my life pass before my eyes. And I saw things with such clarity, Karen. I, I, I contrast that with somebody who I know who survived the earthquake in Haiti several years ago. And she told me she had the same thing. She sort of saw the movie of her life. You know, she saw things with think, clarity. And all of a sudden, you know what your purpose of life is. Also, it sort of comes together. This is why I was on Earth. It's a very surreal feeling. That 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 is amazing to me. So, is the plane now? You and I and everybody that travels, you hear the engines starting to go. You know, like the the, the engines are done. Yeah, the engines are done. So it's complete silence. You don't hear yep. anything other than that. Can you hear the rushing of the wind? Can you hear? Have you any clue how fast you're coming down? Well, he had to maintain, as my understanding, talking to Pop. So they had to maintain about 100 plus miles an hour to keep it up. So as soon as he crossed over the George Washington Bridge, because you know, based on what I heard from him and other pilots, they had so he had to lift it up to get the bridge. But then to maintain the speed, he had to sort of put it, the nose down again, and that's when he started picking up speed. But then he was going straight into the river, so then he had to pick the nose back up because man, he hit it perfectly. As we all know now, a one in a billion shot, he hit it perfectly. I can't even. I I can't even imagine. Okay, so it's impact now. Yep. You hit the water. Do you realize that right away, Dave? That you hit the oh, water. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It was a hard. It was, I tell people it was a violent, hard hit. Because uh, I was jerked forward and backward in my seat a couple times, and uh, so when we hit, I, all of a sudden when we hit, and I stopped going back and forth. I looked up and looked out the window, and I saw lights, so I knew that I was alive. But the water was coming in so quickly because of the way we landed uh, on the river. Uh, so water was. Where I was, I was a 15A. I was about anywhere from about ankle to knee deep. Back in the back, it was deeper. Towards the front, it was less deep. The water started coming in immediately. And if you remember that day, it was, it was 11 degrees. It was snowing that morning. And the water's 36 degrees. So it's coming in pretty cold water, coming in pretty quickly. I, I can't even imagine that. That's that's terrifying. So, so the water's rushing in. Now is there panic? Are people panicking? 
nope, people are now just getting up and going. And no one's, and that's one of the things that I tell people is really amazing likewise. People know you see anybody pushing anybody. People were orderly, but like I said, it was controlled chaos. People are moving now fast, right? Let's get out of here. Because oh you just heard evacuate, evacuate, go, go, go. Um, and, and so everybody started moving pretty, pretty quickly. And the flight attendants jump into everything. Dave, what are you thinking at this point now? Well, my game plan initially, Karen, was get to the aisle, get up and get out. That's when I was going down, like if I survive this thing, get to the aisle, get up and get out. But what happened to me is when I got to the aisle, something happened to change that game plan. Because uh, uh, I heard my mother start talking to me in my head. My mom had passed away in 1997, but there was something she would tell me when I was a child. And I heard her say in my head at that moment, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And, and for me, I grew up in a small town outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, played sports and athletics and the Boy Scouts and all that stuff. And we always had a crew. We have always had a bunch of guys that hung together and we never let anybody, we always had each other's back. So I went towards the back of the plane to see if anybody needed help. And I started making my way out behind everybody else. I mean, once again, now it's time to get out, right? Everybody's moving. But when I saw the door, first window that I saw had opening was on the right side of the plane. It was enough that, you know, they popped out the door thing. And um, I started getting out, but Karen, I started looking out, but it was an amazing sight. There was no room on the wing. The wing was already filled up. There was no room on that boat, but people were already being rescued. So that's why I was inside the plane waist deep in 36 degree water for about seven minutes because there was no room on the wing of the boat for me. Right, right. At that point, are you like, are you just totally gripped by fear or no? No, I'm, you know, I, I stayed in a focused state. And I think a lot of that comes from the training I had, you know, whether it's with Boy Scouts or being with Tony or whatever I've done, because I was, in, I was really, really in a focused state. Because I was holding on to the lifeboat, and the reason why people said, why were you doing that? Well, people on the lifeboat kept yelling to hold on, hold on, because that lifeboat, I mean, you know, being in New York, people who are not in New York, I sort of have to explain this, that river's got a very fast current. And, and that little lifeboat was floating out from the plane, and they kept yelling to hold on because they needed to be close to the wing to get off on the wing to get onto the, you know, get off, get off the plane. So I held on to this little lifeboat, waist deep in 36 degree water, and that's why I stayed in, and you know, once again, no, there's no panic. People are moving. But then, you know, a few minutes later, I felt the plane shift. And that was sort of, okay, what's going on now? And the first thing I thought about was Titanic. Because right. you, know, you, know, you remember the movie, the boat tipped up, sucked everything down in it. And the first thought that I have is don't be sucked down in a plane. Right. I mean, you go down the bottom of the river in a plane, uh, you're pretty well done. So that's, uh, that's why I, I say thank my mom and dad for making me get swimming lessons. Because I had to jump in and swim to the closest boat, which was at the end of that wing. I tell people it's the longest 20-yard swim. And as you know, being in New York, but for those folks who have, are not in New York, the Hudson River is not that clean. You know, I tell people, you might have pristine rivers out in Missouri and Nebraska. Uh, the Hudson River is not like that. Plus, you got jet fuel that's leaked out. And so all of a sudden, you're swimming in all this stuff, and it's cold. But, you know, I finally got to the end of the wing, got to the ferry, and now it's how do I go get on the ferry? Right. Uh, Dave, are you in shock? Is your body in shock at this point? Is, is the cold not as, as you know, hampering and you're just in shock moving in the way that you should be moving? No, that's an, no I wasn't. And I talked to EMTs about that. I said, they explained it. That, and, and, and it's a great analogy. So I use this analogy. It's like firemen, firefighters. You see them going into the fire, right? Have all the adrenaline that they got going in, they're, they're there now, they're in the moment, 
they don't, they go into shock and they start losing after, right? They sit on the curb and they have nothing left. They have no energy left. And that's what happened to me. I was in go, go, go mode until I got on the ferry. Thank God some a couple of guys threw me on the ferry. And when I was on the ferry, now I let everything go because I think I've made it. And that's when the most dangerous time for me was because I was, it was 11 degrees. I was, I, I was in water for over seven minutes. You know, and I could barely breathe because I others of uh, so all of that's that's when it hit me. That's when the shock hit me is when I got on the ferry. And fortunately for me, someone had a phone and uh, they put it in my face, and I left a message for my for my wife that I'd been in a plane crash. But that's when it hit me, Karen, is when I got on the ferry because I let all the adrenaline go and it was gone. I had nothing left. Right, you're depleted of everything. Yep. Now everyone around you is safe. Do you know this or you don't know this at this point? I still don't know that. At least I know on the right side of the plane, everybody was out. That's all I really knew at that moment because I was the last person out on the right side of the plane. So I knew at least from the right side of the plane, everybody was out. But I didn't know anything until later that that, that evening because I was getting, I mean, I was, in, I was in the hospital. I had hypothermia. They had to cut my clothes off me. It was, you know, there's a lot of things that go on in that, in that interim period, right? My body temperature is, you know, 94. I've got hypothermia. The doctors are going after me. Right? I mean, there's a lot of things. So I didn't know until later that night because if you remember that day, if you go back to that day, part of the challenge was is a lot of people who are from that area. Roughly, I think it was 50-some percent of the people were from that area. So a lot of the people just went home. Right. So they couldn't find people. So if you saw the movie Sully and then you saw any the reports, people kept asking, they need a number, they need a number because they couldn't get a final number until they could count for everybody. And two of us were in the hospital in Jersey and other people were in hospitals in New York and Beth Israel, Columbia and whatever. And other people were just going home. Right. So it took them quite a while to get that number. That's why I didn't know what was going on until later that evening. Right. And what about Sully? Like, are you, are you, can you visibly see him? Do you know that he's still under control or? or, or? I, I didn't know who he was. I, I, all I heard is somebody behind me walking down the plane, and I assume, and now that I know it's true, it was the captain. Uh, but, no, I never saw him. I never saw him until we were on a TV show together. I think it was the early show on Good Morning America. It's the first time I ever actually physically saw him up close and personal. Okay. Dave, I'm, I can't even ask you how it changed your life because most obviously anybody would be, like, totally changed. But as far as, like – being you know deep ret when you when you go and you think about it and and you and you meditate and you think about all these things that happened how's it how's it make you feel like what do you what are you thinking at the well moment? i yeah you know, sort of like you you went through a lot in your life too i mean i read your bio and it, you, know, you gotta be and like i love your shows and one tough mother because you have to be tough mentally you have to be really resilient um and that's why I, I did my ted talk about is you know how to how to grow from these traumatic life events but Every day I've got a day, I think what's changed for me the most, a couple of things, number one, I have a full you know, focus on gratitude now, uh, giving thanks, because Kenley, I shouldn't be here today. You know, I shouldn't be here today, so I, every day is a day of thanks. Every, that's why we start out. Every day above ground for me is a great day. But the other thing is really, for me, it really helped me grow, I think, is becoming less judgmental. And the reason I say that is this. I was on one of the shows with some of the passengers, and one of the passengers didn't really respond really well. Let's say it that way. And me, like everybody else, started judging this person until I found out that he was going through a divorce and he just lost his job. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, how many times, Karen, have I judged somebody so quickly before I knew their backstory, before I knew what was going on? 
And how many relationships have I stopped? How many jobs did I not get? How many things have sort of changed my life? So if I could become less judgmental. So I would say every day is a day of gratitude and trying to be less judgmental. That way I can understand people where they're coming from. And it's opened up so many doors. And that's what I think is the main reason things have opened up. That's why you and I are talking today. I, I believe that's true. And it's just funny that you say that because I've just, um, in, a, in a talk that I just recently had, I, I said, everyone has choices. Okay. And there's some, there's some things in life you don't have a choice. Like you, you, if you get cancer, okay. If you're in a plane crash, you probably didn't have the choice right then and there. Right. Um, but it was your choice to get on the plane, however, but you didn't have the choice about the, the crash. But everyone has choices in life. And there are more choices in life than there are anything, probably even minutes in an hour, because every moment of every day, you're making a choice. And I have chosen to stop judging people for that very reason right. I don't know what I don't know what they're walking through I don't know what they're coming through and I don't know who they are and it's not fair to judge other people and you have to remember those those choices are choices that you make you make those choices to judge people if you listen to oh well he's you know you don't talk to him he's really crummy or don't you know don't be around her she's this or that you made that choice you can't say, well, you know, it was, I didn't have a choice. They told me, oh, well, let me tell you, my friend, don't ever say those words to me. You didn't have a choice because you absolutely oh. always have a choice. Correct? Most definitely. I mean, the only thing my mother and father taught me is every choice has a consequence. I told my kids this, right? And, but we all have choices on how we respond to things. And one of the things I talk about, like you, is I talk about, you know, people value, value people. And, and so if you're going to value people, you can't be judgmental. And I, and I just use an example such as whether you can look at the human Jesus. He didn't hang out with the cool kids. He hung out with the people who needed you know, He wanted to be around people who needed help. So he never judged anybody. Right. So I think that's a great model. Just if you look at it from a, not from a spiritual but a human perspective, that's where I think um, I agree with you totally. It's, everything's about choices. And it's, it's funny because I, I never want to sound like I'm holier than thou by saying, oh, I don't judge. Because I absolutely was in New York yesterday and saw something where, oh, my God, and then stopped myself. That's the trick. It's discipline. Yeah. That's right. Discipline, identifying it and taking it back to yourself and going, hey, you know, chill. You just said you're not doing that. And that's what it's all about to me. Yeah. Becoming self-conscious of what's going to be what you're doing. And that's you know, putting that pause in, like you just said, it's exactly right. Where people just rush quickly, take that one deep breath, that five second brief, right? Whatever you want to call it. And just say, okay, let me take a step back for a second. Okay, now, no, and get yourself in a rational mode. It's, and so your wife, I'm, first of all, I have to bring this up because your wife must've been like, oh, I just like over the top about this whole situation. Well, I, mean, I don't know what was worse on you or her. Because well, I try to tell people. I love, pe I love people to hear her story because she was taking our son to basketball practice or this was going down, and she didn't find out until my daughter let her know that I was in a plane crash. And then she was inundated with media here in Charlotte, and she didn't have anybody to help her. And she was with four kids by herself, all this coming together. So I tell people, I said, you, should, you, hear, you like my story? You should hear my wife's story. Right. Yeah. I'm sure she was just, boy, she had to be one tough mother that day. She, she was. I give her, I tell you, she was. All the mothers are out there, the fathers who are dealing with it on the home front, they're the tough ones. You know? They are always the tough ones. Well, Dave, what's next for you? What are you looking forward to? And where can people find you? Well, thank you. Well, the, 
two great places to find me on my website at davesandersonspeaks.com. That's great. But I tell you what, Gary, what I'm doing now is if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn at Dave, David Sanderson, because every day I'm putting out new leadership content because my whole focus now is helping the next generation of what I call cultivating their personal leadership. Now, my new course is called Cultivating Personal Leadership because I want people to understand there are ways and skills and strategies to be able to build your personal leadership because you need to be lead yourself personally first before you can lead anybody else. And second is how do you becoming a servant leader out of a personal leader? So that's my focus right now. So I'm not only speaking, my next book will be coming out next year. My book, my book right now is moments matter. And I, you know, it's all about these, the moments in our life that added up. So, and, and, you know, I'm now have my own personal group that I'm, I'm doing group coaching because I think people are, are really want to learn how to lead and lead themselves. They want to understand how you can do it. And so, uh, fortunately for me, I have a platform and I'm, uh, I'm doing that. Backwards. So that's what I'm doing right now, Karen. That's, that's awesome because, um, people need to realize you cannot lead anyone if you don't have discipline and lead yourself. That's right. It's all about discipline, putting discipline to yourself first. Correct. So I, I'm so happy for you. I'm, I'm so honored that you were on our show. Please, you know, best of luck. Always reach out. You're always welcome to come back on and tell us what's new, what's happening. And I have to tell your wife, I mean, honey, you are one tough mother because I know I've been there during crises for other things, not plane crashes, but you're, when you're sitting in the, in the, you know, seats in the back, it gets very, very, very scary too. Yes, it does. So I'll let her know that. Thank you so much, Karen. Oh, you're so very welcome. Thank you, Dave, for being on our show and we will talk soon. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And we'll be right back. The One Tough Mother Podcast. Real talk with amazing women who have worked their way to the top and want to share their real life lessons with you. And we're back and we have headlines and headaches. What's going on, dude? Oh my God. So much is going on. I don't know where to begin. Oh wait, I do. Pepsi's latest water in a can. Can you believe it? Oh wow. Water in a can. Oh my God. How'd they even think of that? Well, um, Fresh on the news that soda giants are banking on distilled water fountains comes a PepsiCo announcement that is testing its water Aquafina in aluminum cans. Let me tell you something. I hope it tastes better than the Aquafina in the plastic bottle because that's terrible. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh my gosh, you're so right. Can I say that? Yes. Yeah, I'm sure it's like tap water from Pepsi wherever they are. Yeah, you said it and it tastes like crap. You're right. The move is an attempt to get away from using virgin plastic, which has never been recycled. Uh, while canned water is somewhat new to the market, they did not pioneer the concept. The creators of Vita Coco introduced cans of Ever and Ever, an easily recyclable option for consumers. PepsiCo predicts the move to cans could eliminate more than 8,000 metric tons of new plastic. Well, then I'm all for it. If you're gonna I'm all that- for it, too. And actually, um, I, I, you know, the whole water bottle thing is really just – really bad for the environment however water in a can not buying it i like the i like getting like the uh, pellegrino in a glass bottle or you know using glass bottles i like yeah i do too actually oh this one i could really relate to karen americans struggling to buy homes oh here it is i bought i put this in just for you dude a little side note we went and looked at a rental tonight that we looked at before we wanted to see what the neighborhood was like at night and, uh-huh. we, and we saw a drug deal going down. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Hard no. Okay. 
All right, so Americans struggling to buy homes. Buying a median priced home is still difficult for Americans in 75% of the markets, despite slow growing real estate prices, low mortgage rates, and higher incomes. According to the U.S. Home Affordability Report, there is some good news. Affordability in four of five markets is seeing improvement over last year. However, the gap between home price appreciation and wage growth is still wide, and it has been for years. I'm struggling. I have four kids. It's hard to find a, a house that you could be comfortable in, you know, especially the neighborhood we're looking at. It's just really difficult. Dude, you're going to have to move out here by May. Um, I, I don't even know how to get out there. It's like, I don't know. What, what state are you even in? Pennsylvania? Yeah. yeah, I'm in state of bliss here, dude. Cornfields oh, yeah. and... Uh... And Oxycontin. You know, yeah, I got, I got deer and bear in my yard. You, you name it. Oh, great. Great. Where's my baby? Oh, he's in a bear's mouth. Great. <laughs> it's better okay. than where you've been looking. I'm telling you right now. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm not moving out there. Let's move on to the next story. Amazon launches in-store pickup. Amazon customers in the U.S. will now be able to pick up their packages over the counter from a nearby real t- retailer. The new service will start at 100 Rite Aid pharmacy stores, expanding to 1,500 stores by the end of the year. Amazon is also looking to get other retailers to join the program, which will not require additional costs for consumers. The news comes as Axios reports that Amazon is now its own biggest shipper, surpassing FedEx, the Postal Service, and UPS. Amazon should just, they just change the name of the country to the United States of Amazon. Yeah, the United States of Amazon is it too. I mean, they dominate. I just, I actually sat on a panel for um, the um, event I did in New York City. And the woman was one of the big, big wigs from Amazon. And the fact that you have to go in there every day, stressed out about whether something's going to change because everything changes every day at Amazon. It's just too much for me. I get that. That's crazy. And that's why you turned them down. That's why I did. Okay. Now I know. All right. Turning self-doubt into a strength. Rather than fight uh, fight against or judge our self-doubt, author and Forbes publisher Richard Carlgaard uh, argues that we sh- can use such feelings as a place to start thinking about the steps we can take to achieve our goals. How can we start? Talk to yourself, he says. Objective self-talk when we advise ourselves that uh, the way we'd advise a friend can help us develop a sense of self-efficacy. The feeling that we are capable of performing the necessary tasks to succeed. To succeed. It's just tough when it's yourself, though, isn't it? Yeah, really tough. Yeah. Thanks, Rich. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. No, I, I understand what he's saying. It's just, it's, it's, you just gotta, you gotta toughen up on yourself, right? And don't, yeah, you know what? You have a million excuses and you listen to your own excuses over and over. Yeah. Just stop it already. All of you. You know who you are. We know who you are, too. Yeah, we know. We're watching you. Somebody's watching me. Okay. Biodegradable plastic from a cactus. I like this one. Before we get into this, it just reminded me. I bought from the supermarket that plant-based straws. They were just like, because I had paper straws. Paper straws are terrible. But this this plant-based straw, I couldn't tell the difference between that and plastic. I was like, Plant-based straws. I've never heard. Yeah, so now then we'll have a plant shortage and we'll have no more oxygen and we'll all die. Oh, geez, Seth, you're such a ray of sunshine. You're welcome. Okay. Researchers at the University of Valley of, I don't know what that says, in Mexico. I can't say that town. 
at Atemajac in Mexico have developed a form of plastic derived from juicing and processing the leaves of, of prickly pear cactus. Prickly pear cactus. The old prickly pear straw. The old, the old prickly pear cactus. Unlike plastic formed via fossil fuels, the cactus variety can break down more rapidly and is non-toxic if consumed. Fast Company reports. Um, some context. The, hu- the average human ingests 50,000 plastic particles a year. I just had some now with a little ketchup. It's delicious. <laughs> and, and unlike corn-based plastics, the cactus-derived version does not require fertilizer and would not need to use land that would otherwise be used to grow food. Well, that's interesting that there's mostly corn-based plastics. I guess that's why... Um, I guess that's why uh, the government subsidizes corn for plastics as well. I didn't realize that. I didn't either, actually. That's horrible. I'm moving to Canada. Oh, geez. All right. Not really. I love America. July 4th. America. Okay. All right. All right. Good. Good. Go ahead. Oh, I can? Okay. Um, oh. No, no, no. I mean, go ahead with the next one. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got carried away. I love America. Okay. But, you know, half of America is losing sleep over money, and I'm one of them. Me too. Yeah. Feeling the money crunch? It may be affecting your wallet and your sleep. According to a new bank rate survey, more than half of Americans lose sleep worrying about money. As many as 56% of Americans experience restless sleep over at least one financial issue, with nearly a third concerned about everyday expenses. The survey also revealed that those with lower incomes aren't the only ones sleeping poorly. More than half of those making over $80,000 are compared to 63% of those who are making less than 30,000. So we're all miserable and we're all sweating it out. Yep. We're Great. all miserable. We're all sweating it out. <sighs> okay. Fresh discovery beneath the Atlantic. I like we- this. What? I love this. You love this? I do because I, I'm a, I'm a freak about the ocean, as you know, and I'm a freak about what's going on underneath the ocean. Ew. I thought that's where China is. Oh, stop. Oh, so if you dig underneath, you can get to China. Yeah, yeah. Okay. A research team from Columbia University discovered a nearly 220-mile aquifer beneath the ocean floor, suggesting the possibility of new, similar sources of fresh water around the world. The aquifer, which was discovered on the east coast of the U.S. between Martha's Vineyard and Long Island, was found with the help of electromagnetic electromagnetic receivers commonly used to detect offshore oil and gas. The water in question, an estimated 670 cubic miles, would require desalinization salinization to be consumable. Oh, get the salt out. I got it. Yes. Submarine discoveries could one day help millions who struggle from water scarcity. Isn't that weird to you that the earth is so covered with water yet there would be a water scarcity um well yeah i mean it's it's certain countries they don't have clean clean water is a problem yeah it's just like when i hear it and when i think about it like it just seems so like surreal that the earth is covered by so much water yet there would be a water scarcity and no one has come up or i guess they have come up with a way to desell it Salt is how do you say, say desalinate saline, saline right saline eight yeah, yeah. desalinate the water because um if you're like on a shipwreck and you're out in the ocean you cannot drink that water 
No, it must be an expensive process. Yeah. I mean, I, well, yeah. I would think, isn't it just boiling the salt out? I don't know. Uh, yeah, get a big pot of boiling water and just boil it out. Okay, good. Yeah, good. It's a really big pot. Um, <laughs> it holds 670 cubic miles. Um, Karen, what do you think the most expensive uh, median price house is? Oh, oh, where? Hawaii. You should know that. You lived there. Yes, I did. In Hawaii, I, uh, uh, half a mil. The average, uh, the median price is 616000 I was close. But you live in paradise. I mean, it might be worth it. Yeah. And, you know, I watched those real estate shows. That's like for a shack. Yeah, that is totally for a shack. Love shack. Okay. Uh, number two, uh, District of Columbia, 574000 California, 548000 Massachusetts, four. Wait, these are medium price houses? You got it, girlfriend. Wow. Massachusetts, four hundred seven thousand. Washington, three eighty five. Colorado, three seventy nine. Oregon, three forty six. Utah, three forty one. New Jersey, three twenty seven. Wow, Seth, three twenty seven. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Alaska, three oh nine. New York, two ninety eight. People think New York, two ninety eight. That's crazy, but. New York City is just this one small part of the state. So the rest of the state's up by Canada and all that. They got, you know, really cheap stuff up there. So it averages it all out, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got some other states, you know, Nevada, Maryland, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, all around 280. So. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, that's incredible that that's the median price for a house. Especially like in California is ridiculous. I think in San Francisco, if you make $120,000 a year, you're, you're almost on the, um, poor line like you're on the what do you call it line whatever that's called that's crazy yeah but listen that's have a great fourth everybody you know just don't forget all your problems for a day and just celebrate america it's still the best place in the whole wide world to live it's the whole wide world Except and, for would Canada that be and sweden and norway all right yeah all those places seth <laughs> <laughs> but with that being said um we want to thank David Sanderson for being Dave. Thank you for being a guest on our show. And this week's mother says is when it's all finished, you will discover it was never random. And that's so, I mean, that's becoming like the theme of my life when it's all finished or when things are all coming to a conclusion, you will discover it was never random. Have a great week, everybody. We have an amazing show next week. Fabulous show, Seth and I sat in the studio with a wonderful woman, and we can't wait for you to hear it. And in the meantime, be happy, be healthy. Happy Fourth of July. Do not hold on to the sprinkler, or the sprinkler, the sparkler when it's almost done. And don't light firecrackers in your hand, right, Seth? Right. Oh, yeah, I had a friend who blew up an M80 in his face. I knew that was coming. Have a great week, everybody. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, 
The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.